Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Andy Staples on three big news day in college football. It's a dear Andy show, but we got a lot of news to cover first. You just saw on the on three YouTube channel that four star edge rusher, Jordan Ross of Estavia Hills, Alabama has committed to Tennessee. He also considered Alabama, Florida, and Texas. This jumps Tennessee up to number six in the on three industry rankings for 2024. So uh, he joins Mike Matthews, who's the number one receiver prospect in the country. It's a pretty big deal for the Vols. And uh, we will see how that continues because they have uh, they've been on a little bit of a run of late. So Tennessee, congratulations. Jordan Ross, congratulations on your commitment. But we've got lots of other news to get to as well. The Jim Harbaugh news is the biggest one. Three-game Michigan-imposed suspension. This was not the NCAA suspending him. And remember, Harbaugh and Michigan and the NCAA had been negotiating a resolution in this case, which involves, well, it involves a cheeseburger, despite what the NCAA says, that it's not about a cheeseburger. It is also about a cheeseburger, but it's also about Jim Harbaugh meeting with prospects when he wasn't supposed to, and then saying he did not recall meeting with those prospects and then they showed him a receipt and he still said they didn't he didn't recall. So that's the gist of it. They were negotiating a resolution, kind of a plea bargain type deal where he would have missed four games. That was rejected by the committee on infractions. So that pushed the whole process forward basically to where they would need to have a committee on infractions hearing and it would it's going to take a while. It's not going to be resolved for a while, but Michigan trying to get out ahead of things, suspending him now for three games. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if that really means much in terms of Michigan on the field. I doubt it because they open with East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. He wouldn't even miss the Rutgers game, which he would have missed if it had been suspended for four. But this feels more like a get him out there, have him miss the three. And so if it is a more serious than four-game suspension – then he's got three games time served already, and then the rest of it you'd have to deal with next year. We will talk about that quite a bit more in a few minutes with Chris Ballas from the Wolverine, but we've also got some other stuff going on in the world of college football. We've got Big Ten on Big Ten poaching. Okay, well, right now it's Pac-12 on Pac-12 poaching, but if it were next year, it would be Big Ten on Big Ten poaching. That's right. USC has a new athletic director, Jen Cohen from Washington. Headed down to Los Angeles. Cohen has been at Washington since 2016. She replaced Scott Woodward when he left for Texas A&M. She's done a very good job at Washington. The idea is go to USC. You've got Lincoln Riley already there. Lead the Trojans into the Big Ten. So she helps get Washington into the Big Ten. And now she will work for USC as the Trojan. 
or for the the USC AD job. And well, that's probably because they had narrowed it down to Jen Cohen at that point. So congratulations to Jen Cohen on her new gig. And it, it's just a it's a very newsy, newsy day. And and we were wondering when that USC thing was gonna pop. I probably should have noticed when Alford released that statement. Oh, that probably means they've got their person. And they went and got one of the most respected athletic directors in their own conference. And she would have been one of the most respected athletic directors in the Big Ten at Washington. But now she will be one of the most respected athletic directors in the Big Ten at USC. So Washington now looking for an AD as it is about to move conferences. Other news. We talked yesterday about Georgia making the decision on Carson Beck. We talked about Alabama probably pushing that decision past the season opener that they probably played multiple quarterbacks against Middle Tennessee. Another team could be playing multiple quarterbacks in the season opener, and that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Kyle McCord and Devin Brown still duking it out. Ryan Day said on Monday he might play both quarterbacks against Indiana in the season opener. Now, a little bit different situation than, than Alabama playing Middle Tennessee. This is a conference game for Ohio State. Obviously, yes, they will be favored heavily against Indiana, no matter who they play at quarterback. But this is Ryan Day saying, hey, not ready to make a decision yet. Don't feel pressure to make a decision. You might see them both against the Hoosiers. So, Comacord, Devin Brown, we will see which one emerges. But it could be a case of one of them comes out first, but the other one gets a shot, and then it all gets reevaluated following that first game. So we will see what happens with the Buckeyes quarterback situation trending very much like the Alabama quarterback situation right now. But let us delve deeper now into this Jim Harbaugh situation at Michigan. Uh, it's a Dear Andy show. We will get to your questions, I promise. But we've got, we've got a couple things we need to hit. We've got Chris Ballas talking about Jim Harbaugh and about that suspension. And we've also got Jim Nagy, the Senior Bowl Executive Director. He's going to be coming on every other Monday in the rest of the season. And he's going to help us decipher who are the big NFL prospects, who are the guys that are that are jumping up the board, who are the players that we should be watching at maybe smaller schools. Uh, you, you know, Tyson Bajant was a guy playing for the Chicago Bears this weekend that a lot, a lot of people knew about. But if you watched Senior Bowl last year in the Senior Bowl practices, you knew that Tyson Bajant was the D2 all-time touchdowns leader from Shepherd College and that his dad was a professional arm wrestler. That's the sort of thing you know if you're talking to Jim Nagy long before the Senior Bowl because he was on Tyson Bajant very, very early. So we'll talk to Jim Nagy. But right now, let's talk to Chris Ballas from the Wolverine. That's on three's Michigan site about this Jim Harbaugh suspension. Why this? Why now? Let's talk to Chris. We welcome Chris Ballas from the Wolverine. That is on three's Michigan site. And it has been quite a busy day. Chris is at the golf course, probably not playing much golf because the University of Michigan has self-imposed a three-game suspension on Jim Harbaugh. Chris, you, you wrote about this earlier today. What was the decision-making process and, and what made them decide to do this now? That's a great question. And when I was going to come on with you last week, I was going to tell you when they said, hey, this isn't going to happen until next year. I said, don't be so sure. 
people were still talking. And Michigan is Michigan. You know what? They don't take these things lightly. And sometimes they bend the knee when people don't think they should. And I think a lot of people think that's exactly what they did in this situation. So um, they're thinking about, okay, do we really want this to drag on? Do we really want to be the school that the NCAA comes after and tries to make an example of over, you know, whether you can call it improper contact or buying a cheeseburger or whatever, um, they are already upset, as we can tell. The NCAA released a statement, which is just not in their nature. So I think they wanted to get ahead of it. And as Ward Manuel, the athletic director, said in this statement, he said, you know what? He said, we are working towards a resolution with the NCAA. We're hoping that this will be a step forward in that. But sources close to Michigan said this does not close the book on the Jim Harbaugh NCAA saga. I think that's pretty clear. It does for the Michigan assistant coaches, Sharon Moore and Grant Newsom, who will get a one-game suspension and then be back on the sidelines for game two. And they've said they're not announcing the interim situation. And, and obviously, if Sharon Moore, who we would assume would be the interim, is out game one, does that yep. mean probably Mike Hart for the, uh, the East Carolina game? That's what we've heard. Uh, maybe Jesse Minter, but Mike Hart, who's been associate head coach at Indiana, as you know, uh, would probably be the guy. And then we've heard Sharon Moore probably for the three games or the two games after that before they play Rutgers and Jim Harbaugh comes back. So it's interesting because it, I to put this in, in terms people understand, I always try to put it in legal system terms, even though the NCAA is not the legal system by any stretch of the imagination. But they were negotiating a resolution, and that was the four-game suspension. That was when we were talking about that. That's like the prosecutor and the defense – negotiating a plea agreement, and then the judge rejecting it. The COI rejected that. Yep. It would seem to me that they didn't think four games was enough. And I, the, the, Chris, the one thing that I keep coming back to is the, the easiest comparison to this case is Jim Tressel at Ohio State, where he was – because as the NCAA, it's not about a cheeseburger. It, well, it isn't. The, the bylaw they're prosecuting Jim Harbaugh for allegedly violating is misleading information to NCAA investigators – which that's the same thing they, they got Trestle on. Trestle, if everybody remembers, now nobody remembers what happened because Trestle got pushed out of the job before his hearing, but he was suspended five games. So if this were to happen in Jim Harbaugh, where he's suspended for five games, he's got three games time served. Right. And then you, you could miss the first two of 2024, which is, does include the Texas game, but still not a you know a significant chunk of the season yeah and then speaking to somebody close to michigan just a little bit ago they said the same thing you know what we could revisit this next year it could be the case where this goes into next year i asked what's that next step and they said i said how long is this going to drag out and he said a year and he said you know what it could be that they come back with another game or two and then the other interesting thing he said if jim is still here you know if he gets an nfl right. offer again andy he might just say screw this you know what i'm done with it i'm done with the ncaa i'm going to the nfl and uh, you know what, you guys can deal with this. But the one thing he doesn't want this to be is a distraction to his team. So when they came back to him and they said, you know what, three games, then I think he said, okay, you know, if that's what it's going to take to get the focus back on my football team, then, then that's what we're going to do. Well, it also helps that, that the, the games are East Carolina and UNLV <laughs> and Bowling Green. It's not like they're very concerned. This team is going to overwhelm those teams with talent no matter what. And – bonus like you said and i michigan fans get mad at me when i say that that jim harbaugh may be the nfl next season it's not like it's that far-fetched he has talked to nfl teams each of the last two seasons he is a proven nfl head coach it's not like he, he's some dude who 
Well, we think he might. No, no, no. He's a good NFL coach. So that is something that is a possibility. And if that's the case, now you have Mike Hart or Mentor or Sharon Moore, who maybe you have auditioned at this point. Yeah, I think Sharon Moore. I was talking to Fred Jackson, who was a former Michigan running backs coach and associate head coach under Lloyd Carr. He's now an analyst there. He said, Sharon Moore is a star. He could have been somewhere last year. He can hold out for a better job because he is one of the rising stars in this profession. I could see Michigan doing that if Jim Harbaugh were to move on saying, hey, we've got our guy in waiting here in Sharon Moore. Jim Harbaugh has said many times, Andy, that this is the guy. You know what? This guy is, is a rising star, and, and I could see him. He's ready to be a head coach. So uh, do I predict it will happen? No. Uh, who knows if the NFL is going to want Jim Harbaugh, but I can promise you that if that interview had gone better two years ago, Andy, Jim Harbaugh was taking that Minnesota job. He still got that itch, and it's really hard to get rid of that itch without scratching it. Well, and that's the thing. It, it, it's very similar to the Ohio State situation where Urban Meyer got suspended for three games and Ryan Day got an audition, and they knew by the end of that season Meyer was ready to step down. They've got their guy. And if that happens, they've got their guy. But this also – it, it is a fairly creative solution, I think, if Jim Harbaugh is still there, because if he was going to get five or six games out of this thing, that's a tough deal going into a season. Yeah. Now, if it's two or three, you can probably deal with that. Yeah, especially like you said, with the three games that it is. And Rutgers has given Michigan a battle three of the last four halves that they've played. So, um, you know what? They would love to have him back, and they're going to have him back. But one thing, Andy, you'd love to have this thing resolved and put behind you. That's certainly not going to be the case at this point. Now it's going to go, it's going to linger. It's going to be hanging over their heads. People are probably going to be using it against them in recruiting. So uh, not ideal, but at the same time, you've got your head coach for the meat of a schedule and a year in which you are one of the favorites to win a national championship or at least get to the playoff. But the threat of Jim Harbaugh not being there hasn't hurt them in recruiting yet. So I think at this point, they're impervious to that. A little bit, and it's more the NIL stuff and, and battling the pay-to-play. They still need to get up there. They don't have the recruiting class that they should coming off of Big Ten championships back-to-back -back and playoff appearances, but they're still doing okay. Yeah, it, this is just very interesting that this keeps going, but Michigan seems to have found a way to, to mitigate it however it's going to end up. So, Chris Ballas, thank you so much. Anytime, Andy. Thank you. That's Chris Ballas from the Wolverine. And it is a very creative solution, I think, by Michigan. And, and you've seen this before. You've seen schools self-impose things with the hope that the NCAA will not come down any harder or the, the Committee on Infractions will not come down much harder. I think given the fact that the COI rejected the four-game suspension, three games probably won't be enough, but it probably does help them if it's more. And, and like I said in that interview with Chris, if – they're looking at it as we gave Jim Trestle five games for this. And, and everybody forgets because Trestle was separated from his job by that point. But that's what they gave him for essentially the same thing Harbaugh is accused of. So if it were five games, it would mean two games next year. Of course, that, that does mean the Texas game. Uh, Stitch asks, did Ross pick Texas yet? Hook them emoji, hook them emoji. So bad news, bad news, Stitch. Jesse James. He definitely picked an orange UT team. That is correct. He, he picked Tennessee, though. So we'll we'll uh, we'll look forward to all the who's the real UT battles when Texas gets into the SEC and Texas and Tennessee are both UTs in the SEC with varying shades of orange. We can go back to Michigan, though, 
for a second because we're going to talk to Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl, and this is going to be a regular appearance every two weeks. Every second Monday, you're going to hear from him, and this is one of the great resources in the sport. He is outstanding, talks to all the NFL scouts. You will get a much better idea of the talent level on your team from talking to Jim Nagy, and, and I asked him about Michigan, and I asked him about what Jim Harbaugh said at Big Ten Media Days. He told Bruce Feldman that he thought maybe 20 guys would get drafted on this team. So I, that sounds outrageous. But let's talk to Jim Nagy and see what he says about that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're joined now by Senior Bowl Director Jim Nagy, who has been all around the Lone Star State of late. But <laughs> listen, he's got people everywhere looking at the prospects who will be in next year's draft or maybe the year after next year's draft. We never, we never know, Jim, with the 60-year seniors in the NIL, right? No, I can't wait to get through all this COVID stuff, I'll tell you. It's, it's crazy. And I, I know the FSU people were having some fun with you because you, you put Jared Verse on the side of the Renaissance in Mobile, the Florida State defensive end, who who is a fifth-year senior but could actually play another year if he wanted to, probably not going to. But they're like, well, you know, the, the collective may kick it in, and, and he may be back. These, I mean, God love the fans. I mean, they think that a guy like Jared Verse is going to come back for a sixth year. Like, come on. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you what, like, that's the power of uh, graphic design. So – we didn't actually put Jared versus billboard up there. We had, we had Blake Corum on the other day, the Michigan yep. running back. Um, that was just great graphic design work by, by our guy, Dave Rogers here at the senior bowl, kind of piggybacking off, you know, the Bo Nix traction Nicks, last yep. week and all that. So that's all we were doing, but yeah, obviously Jared, Jared versus a great player. The NFL world was shocked that he came back, you know, for another year this year. So all those Knowles fans um, just enjoy watching him this fall. I, I would, I, I, <laughs> I would be hard pressed to think he's coming back for a sixth year. Well, that's the, that's the thing. There's, there's a lot of guys that are, they're going to be so good that they're not going to really have a choice when it comes down to it. I, I wanted to, to pose a question. To you. When, when I saw you at SEC Media Days, we're talking about Michigan's offensive line, and, and you mentioned how many guys that, that are on that line now, the, the older guys, not even the, the freshmen and sophomores, but the older guys that you think could be in an NFL camp this time next year. And then I go to Big Ten Media Days, and – uh, Jim Harbaugh tells Bruce Feldman that he thinks 20 guys might get drafted on this team. So is Jim Harbaugh exaggerating or is it, is that, is that really possible? Okay. It sounds like an absurd number because what's, what's the record? Well, I know forever it was 14, I think it was, it was four, I want to say it was 14 for a long time. Cause that was an Ohio state team back when I was doing right. the Midwest for the Patriots. And then I, I think the Joe Burrow team may have matched that or beat that a couple years ago, but but 20 would blow it out of the water. It's like breaking the 100-meter dash record by, you know, a second. I don't know how you get, like, five more players drafted than the, the all-time oh, record. But it, when you – but 15 at Georgia this past year. Okay, 15 at – so you're, 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 you're getting five more than, than the record. 
Um, it does sound crazy, but when you look at it, like we've got seven offensive linemen with PFA priority free agent grades are better. Uh, most of those draftable grades, you got two running backs, you've got a transfer tight end from Indiana. You've got the quarterback. If he comes out as a junior, you've got two wideouts, Cornelius Johnson and uh, Roman Wilson. And that's, there's the offense, you know, and then the yeah. defense you've got, you've got two good edge players. You've got, an inside guy, you've got an off-the-ball linebacker junior, you've got three or four DBs, so maybe Jim's right. I don't know. We'll see, but uh, a heck of a lot of talent on that football team. And, and, and that's the thing. I, I've kind of adjusted, especially getting to know guys like you more, how I, I gauge teams because a lot of it before was kind of talent in and not necessarily development out. But Michigan feels like even though they don't recruit the same – exact level as Ohio State they've closed that gap by developing their players as well or better than Ohio State which by the way is saying a lot because Ohio State develops them really well it does no I think uh and the first person that comes to mind is Ben Herbert right their their strength coach who I I I forget what the stops he had right before Michigan but I know he's at Wisconsin for a long time is where I first met Ben um on the road he's done an awesome job you know and I think that when you build the roster that they have now um, and the, 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 the every year is kind of a new roster construction process, you can, you can fill holes easier or whatnot. I think you can be more patient with the younger guys. Um, so you don't have to play those guys right away. So if you're, if you're forward thinking in your high school evaluations, you might, instead of taking the, the ready made 300 pound offensive lineman, you take the 230 pound tight end and be patient with them. And then when you get in the upper class levels and you need an offensive lineman, well, then go get one in the portal and plug them in um, and just be patient. So I almost I feel like the smarter schools are really like going to like at least have part of their signing class as like a developmental group. Right. It's almost yes. like a, a practice squad group. Like we're not going to expect too much out of this this crew out of this class right away. This is this is for more three or four years down the road. So. No, they've done a they've done a great job of developing their guys, and, and not just in the weight room. Obviously, coaching them up too, showing more on the offensive line. I mean, go down the list. They've had a lot of really good position coaches there. So you you went through Texas recently and, and visited several schools. A uh, and M was one, and that's one that everybody saw last year, and, and a lot of people have kind of written the Aggies off, or they see them ranked in the top twenty five. How how could they be ranked in the preseason top twenty five? What is it for you when you walk on that practice field and see that roster? Well, I would, I would say the bodies. Um, and thank God the day I was there, they were in their brand new indoor facility. So we weren't outside burning. <laughs> yeah. uh, the next day at Baylor, I was, we were melting out on the field that afternoon. Uh, but no, I would say the bodies, you know, they've, they've had a lot of these, you know, upper level recruiting classes. Not that I pay a lot of attention to that, but I do know they had some top five, top 10 classes back to back and, and usually the five-star guys look the part. Um, they don't always play it, but they usually at least look it because they, you know, they're given five stars for a reason. They go to these, these camps and these showcases, and, and they look great. Um, so it's a good-looking football team, right? I mean, there's some seniors. There's some guys that, you know, McKinley Jackson, the defensive tackle, mm-hmm. um, Anaya Smith at wide receiver. I mean, there's, you know, Layden Robinson at guard. There's, there's guys, um, Cooper at linebacker. There's guys in the senior class, but I really – like talking to Jimbo, like he's fired up about some of these young guys too. So they're, they're far off our radar and, and we probably hopefully won't deal with those guys for a few years. But like he pointed out a, a freshman left tackle um, from New Jersey, number 71. I don't know the kid's name, but he looks like he could line up in the NFL tomorrow. So 
Um, yeah, man, that's a good looking football team. And, and again, I think it all is going to going to revolve around the quarterback position. I know they've got a few, a few guys there that are kind of jockeying right now, but, uh, but it's a, it's a good looking team and usually good, good looking teams play good. So we'll see. Anaya Smith's an interesting one. Cause he, he probably could have left after last season and, and is obviously a very important player for them, but where, where does he, where does he slot as a, as an NFL prospect? You know, he, he's uh, yeah. He had the injury last year. He's a guy mm-hmm. that was you know, firmly on our radar and then had the injury and, and that really forced him to come back. I know he was thinking about maybe coming out regardless, uh, just come out injured and see what, roll the dice, you know, see, see, see what happens. But uh, no, he's a, he's a smaller guy when you get up on him. Like he, he's certainly not a big man, but uh, he plays bigger than that. He's got some substance to him on contact, which slot receivers at the next level need to have. I think that's what he projects as he projects as a slot a return guy, gadget guy. I mean, he is good with the ball in his hands. Uh, they've, they've used him at running back over his career there. So you're looking at, I think the real kind of easy thing to do right now is label like, you know, he's Debo Samuel, like mm-hmm. there's not going to be another Debo for a while. I, I wouldn't say, yeah. um, but in that vein, like that's going to be the role. Like, does he play that role as well as Debo? Not many guys do, but I think that's what everyone's looking for. Kind of that hybrid playmaker, wide receiver, running back returner. And I do think the return stuff will help him. Um, if he can prove that he's a legit punt returner at the next level, um, that'll help an eyes. So you, also went to TCU, and we had Sonny Dykes on last week, and I was asking him about Josh Newton, the, the corner who they got from Louisiana Monroe last year and who became one of their best players and, and potential you know, All-American, all-everything this year. And Sonny said that they kind of knew within a few practices what they had in him in terms of his temperament, and they, obviously they'd seen what they saw in film. But when you watch Josh, what, what do you see? Really good football player, man. And they said the same thing. They said from day one, he just acted like he was the guy, right? Like there was just something about him coming from La, La Monroe. Uh, really cool story. I mean, that's his only offer out of high school is Louisiana Monroe. The team in his team in his backyard was his only offer. And he was a wide receiver. Um, so they, they flipped him early there. They had the foresight. Um, that's the one thing about Portal, man. I Not to go on a tangent, but I do hate it for these schools that, you know, find a guy and uh, kind of a diamond in the rough and develop him, And then they, and then they end up losing him. But, uh, but no, he's what I see on tape is a, a really good football player, man. Like he's, he's kind of average size, uh, you know, right at five eleven, you know, 190 pounds, but he's, he's feisty. He loves to insert himself and make tackles and, and be a factor in the run game. And then in coverage, just really competitive. Um, you know, there's going to be some teams that think he's more of a nickel because he's not real long. Um, but I think that he plays big enough and he's got enough speed to play out on the outside. I do think he's got that kind of versatility and then just the makeup of him, the way that the way that people at the school talk about him. Um, and then I had a chance to meet Josh after practice. And, man, he is he is dialed in. Like, if anything, like the talk, the conversation we had was like, Josh, you got to enjoy being a senior, man. Like you came back here. Enjoy this. Like enjoy the time with your teammates, because. He just and even he kind of admitted to it that he puts a lot of pressure on himself and he's you know it's it's very important to him. So again, it, every NFL team that's all they spend their time through the pre-draft process. I mean, the bulk of it is who really loves football, who's really passionate about it, who's going to work at it when we give them a second contract. And and uh, just in the the ten minutes I spend around Josh Newton, you can tell that dude that dude is all about football. 
So another guy you saw on that trip who probably would have been in your game last year if he hadn't gotten hurt was JT Clark, the receiver at, at UTSA. Yep. And that, that's a team that, you know, they're moving conferences, but they're very talented. And they go play at Tennessee. They have some opportunities to make some noise this season. What was it about JT Clark that, that, that caught your eye? Uh, yeah, big man that plays big. You know, he's, he's 6023. So, so almost, it's almost six, two and a half, 200 and 210, 215 pounds, I think is where kind of where he lives. And, uh, he's big at the catch point. He, he can go up and get it. He's got a huge catch radius, um, big hands, big, strong hands. Like when he goes up, he'll muscle it away from people. Um, and then he had that injury. You're right. Yeah. We would have invited him last year and, uh, and it was unfortunate, but, uh, to be out of practice and watch him, he was off on the side the whole time you know, working on his rehab, um, trying to get ready to go for that opener at Houston against Houston. So, um, but a big, strong guy, you, regardless of position, every NFL team wants to see a guy play to their measurables. And that's, that's what, uh, what JT does. And, and again, I, I do need to give a, a shout out to coach trailer there, man. It is, that's an impressive place. There's, they, they, they have won back-to-back conference titles for a reason. That is no fluke, man. That is an impressive operation they have going. Uh, really crisp practices, competitive. So yeah, JT is another guy that I, I got to talk to a little bit and uh, man, he's focused on coming back and, and being the same player he was before the injury. So um, really hope he gets back to where he was. Cause he's, a, he's a darn good football player. Yeah. They're going to the American conference. So they go, you know, up a little bit in competition and, and it'll be, it'll be good to see what, what they can do. And, and Frank Harris is back. Another place in Texas, I, I know you're headed, you didn't, you didn't get there on this swing, but is Lubbock. And everybody I talk to about Texas Tech is very excited about this season. You were tweeting about a guy the other day that I, I think people, if you saw him play at Syracuse, it's a completely different experience. But, but Steve Linton, who transferred from Syracuse to Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech just lost Tyree Wilson, a first-round edge rusher. They've got Miles Cole, who, who was a transfer last year from Louisiana Monroe. But Linton comes in as a, he was 230 playing kind of down inside at Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, you bring up La Monroe again. There's another guy. There. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, with Linton, he's a, I saw those guys at the uh, personnel symposium in Nashville a couple weeks ago, uh, James Blanchard in, in the personnel staff. And I was like, how'd you guys get this guy? Like, I can't believe not every power five program would have been knocking down his door based off the tape we watched. Because again, you, like you said, he was two thirties playing inside, like as a three technique uh, playing over guards and, and not just sometimes when those big, you know, undersized longer guys, kind of athletic guys play inside, they're just out quick and people mm-hmm. um, they're, they're an athletic mismatch for, for guards on third down. You see some of the pass rush stuff. To me, what stood out about Linton was how he held up at the point of attack. I mean, this guy was – he was taking on double teams. You know, he was he was stacking bigger men and getting off blocks. I mean, just really had like some functional substance, if you will, functional strength. He played like a much bigger, heavier guy. So now you bump him outside and he's, you know, going to play kind of a wide nine, I believe is how they're going to play him. Um, but if you play him over a tight end, he's going to kick the mess out of tight ends. Yeah. Um, watching what he did against guards. So, and then just let him, let him get wide and, and use his get off. He's got a tremendous get off. Um, he could be one of the breakout players in all of college football this year. And, and again, you know, three months ago, we didn't know much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave us a heads up. I mean, credit to their staff, those guys. I mean, they, 
they're really high on this player. And when you put on the tape, you understand why. So week zero coming up on Saturday, anybody you're excited about Notre Dame, USC, San Jose state, Vanderbilt, Hawaii, anybody who you have kind of circled, like, okay, I want to see them in game action. Yeah. All those guys, but uh, we'll, we'll stay in the backyard. We are going to roll up to Jacksonville state. Oh, there you go. And see them play UTEP. Uh, UTEP's got a quarterback, Gavin Hardison, who we got really excited about um, not this past summer, the summer before uh, we were watching Jacob Cowing, who is mm-hmm. uh, I saw he just got named second team AP All-American today, uh, receiver at Arizona. That's right. He's a transfer from UTEP. So we were watching UTEP tape uh, two summers ago and just, you know, going through the cut up and watching him like, man, some of these throws, whoever's making these throws is like making some money throws. And uh, we look at like, who's the quarterback? We're all sitting around as a group, had our scouting assistants in there. And it's this Hardison kid. So he was on our radar firmly last year, um, had a little bit of dip in production. I think a lot of that was due to losing a guy like Jacob Cowing. They, they lost some, some skill guys. But man, when you watch this guy throw it, um, I mean, he, he's got velocity. He's got touch. He's got movement. And so there's a lot to him. And I thought he was going to be like an under the radar guy for us. And then I've heard, uh, you know, some of the, some of the NFL combine services have draftable grades on him too. So that kind of shot, shot the sleeper thing out of the water for us. But uh, so that's the closest he'll get to, uh, to mobile. So we're going to get up there week zero and, and check out Gavin and, and the UTEP guys. The minors versus the Gamecocks. I love it. Very nice. And, and, and yeah, the under the radar thing, you, I'm sure you'll get them though. Cause like the world, is discovering Tyson Bajant now, but you guys were on him forever ago. You know, long before he played in your game, you were, you were scouting Shepard college tape. Yeah. So, you know, Tyson was one of those on, on draft day last April was a, was a bummer for us, man. We got, uh, I got close with Tyson all time touchdowns thrower in division two history. Right. And, uh, you know, there was enough love around the league. Like that was the thing. I and mean, we're only trying to bring guys to mobile that the league wants to see. And, uh, you know, he was right there with like Aiden O'Connell and, and, and a couple other guys. But, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, when it's like a big school player against a small school player, we usually defer to the small school guy just because the league needs to see those guys against, against great competition. So we brought Tyson. I thought he did plenty down here and, uh, to get drafted, but he didn't, you know, and now fast forward, here we are in the preseason and, uh, I saw him a little bit on TV the other night against the, the Colts and he looked really comfortable in there. Um, and then just reached out to one of my buddies with the bears this morning, just to say, like, is what I saw real is what I'm reading on Twitter real. Sometimes it's not. Um, and they're like, no, man, he's from the day one. He's looked, he's been poised. He's been accurate. He's been a leader. He's yeah. He doesn't seem like a D two kid here. So to get a guy that not just an undrafted free agent, make your 53 Tyson looks like he could also be the number two, which is, which would be an awesome, which would be a really cool story to me. There's, the There's a big difference behind Justin Fields makes sense though. Yeah. Cause Tyson can move around for sure. But, and you know this, I mean, there's a big difference between being a three on somebody's roster and a two. Oh yeah. So if, if he could go from being an undrafted guy to a two, that's, that's a really cool story. And it just kind of adds to Tyson's overall cool story. I mean, the guy's just kind of overcome the odds everywhere he's been. So really happy for Tyson. You were on it and you didn't even have to arm wrestle his professional arm wrestler father. To, that to would make been, it happen. <laughs> Tom Pelissaro got to do that. I'm I'm out of that. That would have been embarrassing. I'm, I mean, good good on Tom for at least putting himself out there because I I don't know if I would have agreed to that. So Jim, we'll let the folks know now. You're going to be on with us every couple of weeks during the season. I can't wait 
it's this is so exciting for me because I love when you're enlightening us about the guys that the NFL wants and and the ones that we need to be watching who are making big impacts, maybe that the TV broadcast isn't showing us. And so I, <laughs> I, I we're we're gonna make some some very informed fans this year. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, and it's gonna be fun, man. I'm glad we're doing this. Thanks, Jim. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So in case you were taking notes there, Chase Besantis is the freshman offensive tackle that Jimbo Fisher pointed out to Jim Nagy. Uh, he's a 6'6", 320-pounder from Don Bosco Prep in Jersey. Chase Besantis, remember the name, is what Jimbo Fisher is telling you if he's telling that to the guy from the Senior Bowl. All right. It is time to answer your questions. That means it is the time where you get to take over the show. You get to be the star, so you can ask live in the YouTube comments. We've got some questions that folks have sent in throughout the day, and man, there are some good ones. And we're going to start with Nathan in Jerusalem. Dear Andy, I'm here at Jerusalem's Old City with a question. Why is everyone, including yourself, so high on Wisconsin? I, I don't get it. Compare them to another team in the West, like Nebraska, and they both have new coaches. They're both changing their system. Wisconsin has some more proven talent, but Nebraska has recruited substantially better over the last couple of years. Uh, they both have pretty comparable schedules. Uh, you can kind of go on and on and on. Both of them have new coaches that are quite well-respected. But at the end of the day, Wisconsin is predicted to win the West, and Nebraska is predicted to go fifth. I'm not saying that Wisconsin is going to stink this year, but I don't understand the hype. You know, isn't it much more likely that they'll end up 6-6 six and six, somewhere in that ballpark? What's your thoughts? Explain this to me. All right, Nathan. I actually think Greg McElroy explained this very well the other day when he was talking about why he's so excited to, we, to see Wisconsin this year. It was a, I had not thought about this comparison, but it's exactly right. So Greg compared Wisconsin this year to how he felt about TCU last year. And, and this is not revisionist history. You can go back. Greg's on record before last season started as being very excited about Sonny Dykes at TCU. He didn't predict that they'd make the national title game but he did predict that they'd be considerably better than everybody else. All the rest of us were sleeping on him. He was not. And this is why he predicted that. You had a very good coach, very good program, someone who recruited to a specific identity and was great at that. Maybe the message got a little stale. Maybe things weren't working the way they, they used to. So in comes another coach who is very well suited to coach at this program, and then all of a sudden it takes off. And, you know, in this comparison, Sonny Dykes does not come in to TCU with the bona fides that Luke Fickle comes into Wisconsin with. So you take Paul Christ, who was a good coach at Wisconsin, who recruited to a very specific identity, knew exactly what they were looking for. 
And they were very successful really until the last couple seasons. And I think they pulled the plug on Chris very quickly because they didn't want it to go downhill. Instead, they wanted to, to take advantage of the fact that they still had players that Chris, who was a good evaluator, evaluated and, and found, and then bring in Luke Fickle, who I think we would all argue, objectively speaking, is a better coach than Paul Chris, or at least his history suggests he is. Would Paul Chris have taken Cincinnati to a four-team college football playoff? I don't think he probably would have. But Luke Fickle's done that. Luke Fickle also helped build Ohio State into what it is. So he understands what he's up against. Yes, they are changing systems. Yes, they are doing things differently. But I think they did that with a purpose. When Luke Fickle was on this show at Big Ten Media Days, we asked him why Tanner Mordecai. We coached against Tanner Mordecai the last two years when Cincinnati played SMU. They had success against him. But when they watched the film, they were like, this guy's just slicing and dicing everybody. Luke Fickle fell in love with him. So it's very purposeful, everything that Wisconsin's doing. This is not to say that, that Nebraska is not doing purposeful things either. It's not one against the other. I think Matt Rule is going to improve Nebraska. But I think if, if you would like to make the argument that Nathan's making about Nebraska versus Wisconsin, I would argue that Paul Chris did a much better job at Wisconsin than Scott Frost did at Nebraska in terms of recruiting and a coherent philosophy and a team identity. So I think we're talking about two different situations. I think Matt Rule inherited a tougher job. Luke Fickle inherited a program that's a lot further along. And the reason he inherited it when he did is because Chris McIntosh, the AD at Wisconsin, said, you know what? We're not going to let this slide further. We're going to take care of it right now. And so there's a very good reason Wisconsin is expected to win the West. I think if you, if you gave Luke Fickle truth serum, he would be very disappointed if they don't win the West this year. They should win the West. You want a, a game to, to point to. Let's look at week two. They're going to Pullman. Last year when, when Washington State came to Madison and beat Wisconsin 17-14, that was a big uh-oh moment. That was like, ooh, hmm. Something, something may be off here. And then they lose to Ohio State, which wasn't a surprise, but the way they lost to Ohio State was embarrassing. And then you had Brett Bielema coming in and out Wisconsining Wisconsin with Illinois. And that was the sign that, that things had to change. But I'm telling you, when, when you take a very good program, and Wisconsin has been a very good program that has not really fallen off. They have slid a little bit but have not fallen off. And then you fire the coach who's pretty good and replace him with somebody who's better. That's why everybody thinks they're going to be good this year. And, and I agree. I think Wisconsin is going to be very good. I think they should win the Big Ten West in the final year of the Big Ten West. And then we'll see what Luke Fickle can do because they seem to have a good NIL situation going there. The, the collective seems to be working and, and everybody seems to be pulling in the same direction. Can they get the kind of players you're going to need to get to overcome Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, Oregon? I don't know. I don't know. Can they do that, recruit those players, develop those players to the point where they can be the second best team, the third best team, the fourth best team in the Big Ten and make the playoff? Yeah, they can do that. They can absolutely do that. You heard 
You heard Dan Katz, big cat from Pardon My Take, who's a, a proud Wisconsin grad. He saw what they did. And it was the way he put it was really interesting. And I think there's probably a lot of Wisconsin fans who feel this way is the floor was really high for Wisconsin, but the ceiling wasn't much different in a year. Now the ceiling is potentially higher. The floor should stay where it is. So I'm excited to see them play. I really am. I, I think just the, the, the fact that they went and got Luke Fickle, who is not the type of guy who is going to jump at just any job, I think tells you there's potentially something special brewing there. We'll find out, though. All right, let's head to the rent-free podcast with our next question. Hey, Andy. After a year and uh, multiple months and uh, especially the last few weeks of talk about high-end Power 5 brands and conference realignment, I guess outside of Colorado, uh, do you find it ironic that Week 0 is here and the primetime game is UMass at New Mexico State? I can't be the only one that's fired up for this. Give us one thing to look forward to for each of the seven games involving an FBS team in week zero. Also, Jim Mora era is back, baby. Go Huskies. Pack the rat. Heck yeah, the Jim Mora era is back. The, the Huskies made a bowl game last year, for goodness sakes. It, one, one of two teams we'll be discussing in the next few minutes that when they made a bowl game, you're like, wow, whoa, that, that is a hell of a coaching job. We're going to be talking about another one of those very soon. But... Let's talk about these week zero games. I, I know you may look at it and say, well, other than USC and Notre Dame, I'm not seeing a lot of big brands there, but I'm going to do you one better than one thing to be excited about in each game. I'm going to do one thing for each team to be excited about in each game. So let's, let's bring up that, that week zero slate and we can hit all of the games because listen, it's football. It's on your TV. Some of it's from Ireland. We'll see if they, they the cat the credit card machines break and they have to give away beer again like they did with Nebraska Northwestern last year. But we'll start with Notre Dame Navy in Ireland. And obviously with Notre Dame, this is Sam Hartman's debut as the Notre Dame quarterback. I think that everybody's excited to see that. We loved watching him at Wake Forest. What is he going to be in this offense? Jared Parker, the, the new offensive coordinator, at Notre Dame, replacing Tommy Rees. How are they going to, to mesh together? And no slow mesh for Sam Hartman. That's that's back at Wake Forest. So what will he look like behind a very good offensive line? I don't know that his receivers necessarily are as good as they were at Wake Forest. Wake Forest has very good receivers, but the backs will be very good. The line will be better than any line he ever had at Wake Forest. I'm very intrigued. And then meanwhile, you've got Brian Newberry's debut as Navy's head coach. Ken Niamatololo fired after last season. They promote Brian Newberry from defensive coordinator. So Newberry's defenses were very good. It was kind of the offense that had fallen off. The get six philosophy. So it's a, it's a combination of turnovers, defensive touchdowns, three and outs, and turnovers on downs. If, if you have your stats in those, those categories add up to six, you should win the game. Now, a lot of this Grant Chestnut, the, the new offensive coordinator who came from Kennesaw State, he's going to have to help out there. So Navy's still running the triple option, not, not a drastic change like Army is doing offensively, but should be very interesting. New head coach for the midshipmen and Sam Hartman making that debut 
for Notre Dame in Ireland. Okay, let us go to the aforementioned UTEP-Jacksonville State game. If you listen to Jim Nagy, you already know, if you're watching the minors, quarterback Gavin Hardison. Everybody's very excited to see him. Meanwhile, Jacksonville State, I wonder if there's a contingent from West Virginia that might be watching this game. I, You, you know I've talked about YOLO Neil Brown at West Virginia. He, he, he knows that basically he's got to win a bunch of games or they're going to fire him. If they do fire him at West Virginia, well, Jacksonville State Gamecocks head coach Rich Rodriguez would be someone that I imagine a lot of West Virginia fans would be intrigued by. Also, in terms of great names in this game, the Gamecocks, yes, they are also the Gamecocks. They have a safety who transferred from Maine. They're the Black Bears, by the way. This guy's name, he's a safety, remember. This is the perfect name, Austin Ambush. What a great name for DB, Austin Ambush. All right, let us go to the aforementioned UMass New Mexico State game. This one, I, we were talking about Jim Mora and UConn and the job he did. You know who might have done an even crazier, great miracle? Jerry Kill with the Aggies. So he won seven games in his first year at New Mexico State. Jerry Kill, remember, former Minnesota and Northern Illinois head coach. Seven games. He went to a bowl game with New Mexico State. Come on. Who does this? What can he do for an encore as the Aggies move to Conference USA? Now, Don Brown, former Michigan defensive coordinator, former Boston College defensive coordinator, did not work a miracle in his first season in Amherst. The the Minutemen were not very good, but they will try to reverse their fortunes led by, and this is somebody that Don Brown just announced as the starting QB, former Clemson and Georgia Tech QB Tyson Pumachon. So he will be playing against Jerry Kill's Aggies. All right, moving on. Ohio, the Bobcats at San Diego State. Ohio's won seven of its last eight last season did not start great and then they got on a roll the let the, the seven of eight the only one they lost was the mac championship game curtis rourke is back baby we saw his brother nathan our other favorite canadian maction quarterback you know he plays for the jacksonville jaguars now we watched him with like five dallas cowboys hanging on him throwing a touchdown pass in a preseason game well curtis who was playing for the bobcats last year he's back he's got some unfinished business he had a torn ACL late last season, but Pete Thamel from ESPN reported on Monday that he is going to play against the Aztecs. Meanwhile, the, the, the San Diego State quarterback situation, much more settled right now. Jalen Maiden is the starting QB, but remember, he started his career as a quarterback, I believe at Mississippi State, then transferred. He started last season at San Diego State as a DB, but... And, and was down on the depth chart at DB, but they had injuries at quarterback. The lefty had to come back to quarterback and wound up being the guy for the rest of the season. And now he is the starter going in. All right. Back to games involving power five teams. Hawaii at Vanderbilt. Vandy lost their leading rusher, Ray Davis, to Kentucky. Uh, that was in our whose team is it anyway game with Dan Rubenstein last week. But possibly... Patrick Smith will be able to carry the load for the Commodores. Patrick Smith, better known by his nickname, Cheeks. So Cheeks will try to prove against Hawaii that he's not booty. 
Meanwhile, for Hawaii, Tylen Hines averaged 7.6 yards a carry for the Rainbow Warriors. Now, Timmy Chang, all-time great Hawaii quarterback. He's the coach there now. He has now gone full run and shoot. Tylen Hines will be running the ball. He will be catching the ball. And who knows? He could be gaining a lot of yards. But Vandy's going to be heavily favored. This is a Vandy team that won five games last year, beat Kentucky and Florida late in the season. Clark Lee's squad looks very intriguing right now. San Jose State at USC. Obviously, Caleb Williams. Who doesn't want to see Caleb Williams? Returning Heisman Trophy winner. Feels like the best shot to be a repeat winner. The only repeat winner other than Archie Griffin. Feels like it. He can pull it off because he's very special. He's probably the number one pick in the next draft. Love watching him play. Love watching him work magic. I also want to see USC's defense. Now, obviously, they should be okay against San Jose State, but against Tulane, against Utah at the end of last season, they were not tackling anybody. How much have they improved? They've obviously hit the transfer portal hard. I, I keep mentioning Bear Alexander and Anthony Lucas. Bear Alexander for Georgia, Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. Those are big defensive linemen they took out of the portal. They definitely changed the body types up front on defense through the portal. And I want to see that. But San Jose State, Shevin Cordero, the Caleb Williams of the Mountain West, the Hawaii transfer, had a great year last year at San Jose State. He's the guy who could maybe challenge that USC defense a little bit. If they're not better, he can make some stuff happen. If they are better, then they should be able to keep them under control. Now we go to a conference game in week zero, Florida International and Louisiana Tech. For Louisiana Tech, kick returner Smoke Harris averaged 27 yards per kickoff return, and he's nicknamed Smoke. Meanwhile, Cyrus Allen averaged 22 yards a catch, so it could be some explosive plays. FIU really hoping we get to see freshman tight end Rowdy Beers because he's named Rowdy Beers. He's a tight end from Colorado. Don't know what we're going to see out of him. He is a true freshman after all. But we would and probably will see Eric Rivers playing receiver for the Panthers. Now, Rivers is an interesting story because he was at Memphis. He transferred to FIU. He was a DB at Memphis, and Mike McIntyre, who's now the head coach at FIU, coached him at Memphis. And when he got him at FIU, he said, okay, you were a receiver when you got to Memphis, then you moved to DB. Let's move you back to receiver. And it looks like he could be their top target. So that one will be a very interesting game. And again, you could see a lot of explosive plays. I'm just so excited because we're going to watch some football. You guys may not be as excited as me about these games, but I cannot believe it's finally here. I, I've just, <laughs> I don't know. Every off season feels longer than the last, even though as you know, we got the playoff now it, it, it it should be a little bit compressed and they're, they're transfer stuff, but this one felt especially long. So I cannot wait for these games. And just talking about what we might see in these games makes it even more exciting. And yes, I still really, really want to see Rowdy Beers. So our next question comes from Craig. You have referenced Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, reading The Club, which is a great book, if you haven't read it, about the formation of the Premier League. And I don't really like soccer very much. I was engrossed in this book, and it's because you can find so many parallels between 
the formation of the Premier League in England and what is going on in college football right now. So you've referenced Greg Psyche reading the club and how college football could adopt a Premier League style. Are we technically already there with what happened to the Pac-4? No, we're not there yet. Because what happened in the Premier League is you had all these, these different clubs and they were kind of, you know, mom and pop, very regional. It, it Suddenly they decided to go corporate, basically. For, for lack of a better term, they decided to go corporate. And they said, the top 20, we're going we're gonna to go do our own thing. We're going to sign a, a massive TV deal. That TV deal actually wound up being with Rupert Murdoch's Sky Sports. Kind of educated Rupert Murdoch on what he should do when a few years later with Fox, he got into the NFL by buying the NFC out from under CBS. So it's, it's fascinating how it all went down. We're not there yet because there still is a Big 12. There still is an ACC. The SEC and the Big Ten are not, they're not conjoined. So it's not Super League yet. And I realize for soccer people, Super League means something different because that's, that's something where all of the international top clubs tried to get together a few years ago and basically were beaten back by the fans who said, no, you can't do this. That's not happening in college football. The fans are not, not seemingly able to say, no, you can't do this. They keep doing this. So they're not there yet. But are they headed that way? Unfortunately, it seems that way. And I think what you saw with Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, and, and, and what options they were left with after this round of realignment, I think that that should tell you all you need to know. So it, it is unfortunately going that direction. It's not quite there yet, but read that book, The Club, if you want to kind of have a better understanding of, of what's going to happen. All right. Speaking of that question, let us go now to Ben from Wisconsin. Dear Andy, most of us need things to cheer for outside of the national championship picture. What better than the ability to keep playing meaningful football? Just looking at the weirdness of people taking Tulane seriously for moving up, I think that properly timed good play does make a difference in terms of the attractiveness of a program. Not a decisive one, but a difference. And seeing as we've got 8 to 10 years or so before the great culling of the lower tier of the old Power Five, who's going to actually make it through? Some programs could have their worst decade ever, and they'd still get in the Premier League. A lot more could have their best decade ever, and they'd still never be allowed in the door. Where do you think the dividing lines are for the top and bottom of programs that have the ambition to get in? Who are the most prominent programs if they screw everything up could actually fall out? And who are the least prominent programs if they do everything right could get in? I'm thinking the upper threshold is somewhere around the Tennessee-Wisconsin line and the lower threshold somewhere around like BYU and Virginia. Thanks. Football is back. Let's go. My thresholds are probably a little bit different because I don't think it's going to be like a 20-team league. I don't think it's going to be 32 like the NFL. I think it'll be bigger. I think that that version of college football, however we're going to do it, the Chip Kelly idea where you have essentially what is the Power Five now and that's the league and then you just divide it into divisions, that makes more sense to me. I see it 
falling somewhere between like 40 and 50 teams. So, you know, Tennessee and Wisconsin being the upper belt where like Tennessee or Wisconsin could get thrown out if they're just horrifically terrible for the next 10 years. I don't see that. I, I really don't. I think, I think they'd be safely in. So here, here's where I would go with that. It, if we're talking about teams that, that potentially could be tossed from the club, that if they are pretty good right now, are going to make it in the club. Minnesota, Virginia Tech, Purdue, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, UCLA, teams like that. They would need to, if they were you know, complete disasters, they might get thrown out. Like, we're assuming Vandy's not invited. We're assuming Indiana's not invited. So now maybe, perhaps they could win their way in. If they're, they're just, you know, gangbusters for the next 10 years, that's a different story. But those are the ones that if the wheels fall off, if they're just horrendous for the next 10 or so years to whatever magic date this is when all of this comes together, that's the ones you got to worry about. The other side of this coin is who could win their way in. And I, I'll give you two examples. TCU and Utah, when they were in the Mountain West, just kept winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And then they got pulled up. They got called up. And look at those two programs. They've probably been the most successful programs in, in all of this round of realignment. Utah's won the Pac-12 twice. TCU's gone to the national title game and won a playoff game. So winning will do that. You know, especially winning if you're a team with a, a very passionate fan base that can make something happen. So I, I would say the whole Big 12 actually qualifies for that because those are all programs, and, and this is I'm talking about the 16 team, the new version. Those are all programs that care very deeply about football. TCU, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, they love football. But also Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, Houston, they love football, have shown a willingness to commit, to spend on football. So I would say the most successful of those, you would want them in your Super League because they're fun. They're well-managed. They're going to play well in that Super League too. Maybe they aren't going to compete with the top of the top all the time, but they're going to be capable and functional and they're going to provide good competition. So those are the ones that, that I would say the top half of the new Big 12, however that works out, would be a really good option in that Super League. Like, you know, let's say, you know, we get to that point and Utah, TCU, Baylor, Kansas State, UCF, Cincinnati, they've all been just winning like crazy. You're going to want them in that Super League. Now, I, I realize everybody else is going to say, what about relegation? Okay, relegation is not going to happen in an American sports league. It's just not. It, would, it wouldn't have happened in England had it not already existed. So it's not going to happen. But... I do appreciate the thought because, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. How cool would an Indiana Rutgers game where the loser has to go to the MAC be? That would be a lot of fun, but it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. It just isn't. So that's all there is to it. Now, let's go to a question that's going to make a lot of you laugh. I, I, I'm ready. I just, just get ready. 
This question is from Parker. Dear Andy, Georgia's recruiting this cycle is very interesting, and I'd love your take on it. They currently have the number one class and will probably hold that spot until, unless something drastic happens. But they only have one top 10 recruit from the state of Georgia, and that's Dylan Rayola, who just transferred into the state for his senior year of high school after committing to the Bulldogs. While Florida State has four of the top 10. So should Georgia be worried about not having as many recruits from the state of Georgia? And again, I know a lot of you are laughing because they do have the number one ranked class in 2024. Dylan Rayola, number one quarterback in the country. Now he's from Phoenix. He transferred into Buford, Georgia after committing to Georgia. So he's, he's the, the in-state guy that Parker's talking about. But they also have Ellis Robinson the fourth. He's the number one cornerback prospect in the country. He is from New Haven, Connecticut, but plays at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Justin Williams. Conroe, Texas. He's the number one linebacker prospect in the country. Jaden Riddell, the number two tight end prospect. He's from suburban Kansas City. Nathaniel Frazier, the number two running back in the country. He's from modern day, which is in Orange County, California. So George is going out and getting the best players in the country. But where Parker's worried is, for example, Landon Thomas is the number one tight end prospect in the country. He's from Moultrie, Georgia. He flipped to Florida State, initially committed to Georgia, flipped to Florida State. But here, here's, I will say this, Parker, about Landon Thomas. He is a Georgia guy. But if you know your Georgia geography, Moultrie, Georgia is about an hour and 15-minute drive from Tallahassee. It's a lot longer to get to Athens. So you know, the, the thing about South Georgia is a lot of those people grew up Florida State fans, middle, you know, South and middle Georgia. A lot of those people grew up Auburn fans. So it's not necessarily an assumption that that because they're in the borders of the state of Georgia, that they're going to Georgia. And because Georgia has been recognized as one of the best talent producing states in the country, I, I think at times per capita is probably the best talent producing state in the country. The, the competition is pretty fierce as Florida teams come in, as Alabama and Auburn come across the border, as Clemson comes across the border, as Tennessee comes down across the border. So it's just not that easy, but Georgia's still getting the guys they want for the most part. Now, KJ Bolden was another one. He's from Buford, which is where Dominic, or Dylan, I'm sorry, I called him by his dad's name, where Dylan Raiola is playing. He decided to commit to Florida State, but he was also looking at Auburn. And so, you know, it's not going to be everybody because they're in the state of Georgia wants to go to Georgia. But the thing is, most everybody in the country, if they get a Georgia offer, is going to consider it. These guys consider their Georgia offers, and then these other guys from, from other places took it because how can you not look at what Georgia's done in terms of draft picks and not want to go there? So I don't think you should worry about competitively how it's going to affect Georgia through the years. I think there will be other years where there are more players from Georgia. There will still be guys who grew up wanting to be Bulldogs, who are going to go to Georgia, who are in-state guys. But <clears throat> there will be fierce competition, and that's to be expected. As long as you're getting number one, a bunch of number one guys at their position, I don't think you got to worry about it. That's just, that's just how things go right now. Uh, we were talking to Greg McElroy the other day. He, he thinks Texas has probably gotten better because it's gotten away from recruiting just Texas guys. That, that it actually helps them find guys who are maybe not as close to their ceiling and can be developed. So 
it's not the be all end all to have guys from your state. It's the be all end all to have the best guys. And so far, Kirby Smart's proven he's pretty good at finding the best guys. So wouldn't worry too much about that, Parker, right now. Let us go to our extra point, and it's from our friend Matt, who you, you see him in the comments quite a bit. Dear Andy, imagine fast food chains are like college football. How would they use menu item realignment to create better versions of themselves? For example, Chick-fil-A brings in Bojangles biscuits to replace their awful biscuits and owns breakfast, or Wendy's takes McDonald's fries. So, Matt, you, you're on to something here. I'd say it's more like the transfer portal, the menu item transfer portal. But however we want to describe it, this is brilliant. So we'll start with your first suggestion that, that Chick-fil-A, which has delightful chicken in its chicken biscuits, but the biscuits are awful. They really are terrible, which is strange because Chick-fil-A is usually pretty good at almost everything, but their biscuits are garbage. You're almost there with the Bojangle suggestion. Almost. If you wanted to truly create the greatest breakfast item in fast food history, you would take the Chick-fil-A chicken. You would put it inside a Hardy's biscuit. A Hardy's biscuit with Chick-fil-A chicken inside it. I would eat a hundred of those. I know what you're saying. Andy, you said you'd eat 100 Chick-fil-A nuggets that one time and you almost died after eating 61. I would attempt to eat 100 of these and I would love it. I don't care how full I got. Hardy's biscuit, Chick-fil-A chicken, you can't beat that. Now, the next suggestion that Matt, Wendy's getting McDonald's fries. You're, you're, put, you're sending McDonald's fries to the wrong place, Matt, if you want to create complete fast food domination. What is... The place that we always say, if they ever decided to serve fries that didn't suck, could be the greatest place in the world. Now, they're not in all, all of the country. They started on the West Coast. They're, they've moved east slowly. They're in Texas now. But synonymous with California. in and out Burger. Give McDonald's fries to In-N-Out Burger. If McDonald's fries entered the transfer portal and then signed with In-N-Out Burger, it would be the greatest restaurant of all time. I cannot understand why In-N-Out Burger continues to serve the worst French fries in the world when they could just make good fries and be the best fast food restaurant on earth. I don't understand why they do that. But if someone could convince McDonald's, like In-N-Out, tamper with McDonald's fries. Find their trainer from high school and have him text them and say, hey, listen, I know you're under scholarship with McDonald's, but come to in and out burger. That is the match made in heaven. That's the dream. An in and out burger with actual good fries on the side. It would be unbeatable. It'd be like USC with a good defense. That's the show for tonight. Appreciate it, guys. Love your questions. Thank you so much for all of those thoughtful questions. Tomorrow, ACC preview. Roddy Jones from ESPN joins us. And also, we get a visit from the new Wake Forest starting quarterback, Mitch Griffiths. We talk Sopranos with him.
Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.